got a text this morning from my sister, and it said, he is risen. Happy Resurrection Day. So I texted back, he is risen indeed in a happy Resurrection Day to you too. Now this may be one of the most unusual Resurrection Days uh, for many people, maybe not for us, but for many people, uh, considering the times that we are in right now. And so in most places, churches won't be meeting. Uh, think of all those millions of people who make an annual pilgrimage. They're just not even going to do it this year. <laughs> Virtual is the best they can do this Virtual. year. Virtual. <laughs> Maybe we'll get more that way. Though. That's, that's all right, too. But, uh, I was thinking of a line... Uh, a phrase from the story of the prodigal son, uh, like we saw not so long ago here, uh, Luke 15, 32 is, is, the, is the verse. But you remember this story, the son has come home, the father is, is overjoyed and he's throwing a party and the older brother comes home and the place is jumping. And he said, what gives? And he inquires and finds out, well, your brother has come home and your dad has thrown a big party. And he's not too happy about this. And he won't come in. He will not join the party. And his father goes out to talk to him and explains to him why he's throwing this big party. And in, in that verse, 32, he uses these words. We had to celebrate and rejoice. We had to do it. Because this brother of yours was lost, and now he's found, he was dead, and now he's alive. Um, now, we can skip having a birthday party for Lauren, but we have to celebrate this. So, uh, if you if you haven't gotten up to it, keep working up to that. We want to we want to uh, remember that old children's song. One of the lines is, "If you're happy and you know it, say amen. If you're happy and you know it, say amen. <clears throat> if you're happy and you know it, then your face will surely show it." So, I'm going to see a few more smiles. I've been a little tired this morning, and I think a lot of you have, too. Now, I noticed, Al, when you were sharing this morning, the further along you got going, the more excited you got. <laughs> Can't help it to do that when you're talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You didn't even notice that, did you? No. I did. Hmm. You know, I looked at all these straight sure faces. when you woke up. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll go with that. <laughs> So I want to talk about the resurrection and this uh, approach or outline came to me a couple of weeks ago as I'm pondering this. We talk about the fact of the resurrection, the faith of the resurrection, and the future of the resurrection. So we're going to begin in the Gospels, of course, and you can read about this in Matthew 28 or Mark 16 or John 20, but we're going to start in Luke. 
And Luke 24 is, is the uh, chapter, that last chapter of this gospel that tells us about the resurrection of, of uh, Jesus. And the background of this actually begins in chapter 23, and we'll just reach back to verse 49. And it says this, And all his acquaintances, and is talking about the Lord Jesus, he is, he's just died, and the women who accompanied him, that's Jesus, from Galilee, standing at a distance, they saw these things. They saw him give up his last on the cross. Into your hands I commend my, commit my spirit, Jesus had said. Well, verse 50 begins, And a man named Joseph, who was a member of the council, and a good and righteous man, he had not consented to their plan and action, a man from Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who was waiting for the kingdom of God, this man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Now, Pilate was surprised at the request. He can't be dead already, is he? But in finding out, yeah, he is. And uh, then the soldiers finished off the other two guys so that they would die quicker. But to Jesus, remember that soldier, you know, he's not breathing, he's gone, but hey, just to be sure, in went the spear into his chest. So Joseph has requested and received the body of Jesus, and he took it down and he wrapped it in a linen cloth, and he laid him in a tomb cut into the rock, where no one had ever lain. It was the preparation day, and the Sabbath was about to begin. So there's a, this is a very special weekend here, and they want to get all of this put away before sundown, because then there's the preparation day before this high Sabbath. Now the women who had come with him, and this is important to remember this part, out of Galilee, followed, and they saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Now, a couple of things to note about some of these characters. Joseph, who was a member of the, the Sanhedrin, but was not present when they held their illegal nighttime trial and when they condemned him, you know, you'd obviously, if you... If, if you uh, one of, if your politics is leading you in a certain direction, you want to leave out some people who may not go along. And so he apparently got left out of this. But uh, Joseph was a secret disciple. He was one who had, what's it say here? Uh, he was waiting for the kingdom of God. It's another way of saying he was looking for the Messiah, expecting him to appear in this time period. And anyone who knew Daniel's prophecy should have known this. And so he had believed that Jesus was the Messiah, but he was not saying so openly. So, Rihanna, he would never be baptized, at least not at this point. He wasn't going to do that. But now, <laughs> Jesus is dead, and now he declares himself. He comes out in the open and openly goes to Pilate and asks, please, let me have his body so I can at least give him a proper burial. Well, it wasn't a proper burial. It says they, they wrapped him in a linen cloth. This is pretty hasty. Uh, you know, it's just about sundown. We just have to get this put away at the end of the day. We can't leave the body lying out at night. So they've done this. And the women saw this. And so verse 56 says, 
Then they returned, so they went home, and they prepared spices and perfumes. And on the Sabbath day, they rested according to the commandment. But they had a plan. They were going to go out and do the Lord whom they loved more proper justice at his burial and to honor him and, uh, and so forth. Um, they were a little bit alone in this. Now, we really appreciate what Joseph did. And prophecy, again, was fulfilled in this. Uh, Joseph, no doubt, had, had, uh, had this tomb hewn out of the rock for himself or his family, but never been uh, anyone to bury there. I remember my dad bought a grave plot for six graves at the cemetery there in Halton, expecting that he would probably be the first to be buried there, but he was actually the fourth. That was too bad. But uh, that wasn't the way he had a plan. Joseph hadn't planned it this way, but now he has this tomb, and it's near enough by we can put Jesus in the tomb at least before the sun goes down. So they've done this. Then chapter 24 begins, but on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they again, now we're talking about these, this group of women, came to the tomb bringing spices which they had prepared. Now other gospels tell us that they were wondering aloud to themselves as they went, how are we going to get the stone rolled back so we can get in? Now, the way these tombs were constructed, this big round stone uh, set in a, in a niche like that. And so when it sealed the opening, to, to open it up, all you need is two or three men and a big crowbar. Stick that in there, you pry it up, you roll it up out of that niche, put a rock or something to block it, and, and you're, you're good to go. Then to close it again, you, you pry up, lift out the block, Roll that stone back in, drops in that pocket, and it's, it's, it's stuck there. But these women are not going to get it out. A couple of men with a tool, they could do it, but they're not. But they went anyway. Now, something else worthy to note here. Uh, we already have seen from crucifixion accounts that... Uh, the believers who came to actual, actually witness the crucifixion, who came as close as they were allowed to come, were, were mostly women. Notably absent were the other disciples other than John. Uh, Judas has committed suicide. He's gone. Judas Iscariot. But of the other 11, only John went there. Now, John had an older brother. James appears to have been much older than John. And James wasn't there either. So, Titus, you're the youngest. Sometimes it figures, well, the youngest, he's the smallest, he's the littlest. You'd expect the oldest to have the most courage. But it wasn't this way in this case. It wasn't James, it was John who was there. And a number of the women. Among those was uh, Mary Magdalene. Another gospel tells us that Jesus had cast out seven demons from her. We can't imagine 
the condition this woman lived in, being possessed by seven demons. So, did she love the Lord? Oh, she did. She did. She was among those, and some of the other women. So, uh, they've come to the tomb. Now, another thing that's worthy to note is that, uh, well, quite often we, we identify uh, men as being the more logical and women being the more emotional. And uh, the men in their logic arrived at fear and despair and unbelief. The women, by their love, Mary Magdalene's an example, overcame their fear and went out in faith to the tomb because they loved the Savior so much. So love overcame fear. So there they are. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling clothing, and the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground. The men said to them, Why do you seek the living one among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. Now, we know from the Gospels, the other Gospels uh, as well, that uh, not only had this tomb been sealed up with a big rock, but the religious leaders had asked of Pilate for a Roman guard. See, they remembered, the disciples seemed to have forgotten this, and the women had to be reminded here too, that Jesus said on the third day he would rise. But his enemies remembered that, and they said, you know, this guy said this, so we want you to give us a guard to make sure that the disciples don't come and steal the body or something, and then we just have a lot more problems. So he said, okay, you got it. Now, how many guards were there? Well, it's hard to know for sure, but uh, more than surely more than two, six, twelve, but the, the guards were uh, trained soldiers. But the sight of uh, one holy angel made them faint. <laughs> and you see the women here in their response to, the, to seeing these two angels, they were, they were afraid. So we've never seen an angel in its dazzling glory, reflecting the glory of God. But, but it would be an awesome sight. So they were, they were terrified as well. But these soldiers, had, when they came to and ran away, uh, one of them, perhaps the leader of the squad, went to the chief priest and told them what had happened. And uh, they paid the soldiers a lot of money to keep quiet about this. Now Judas made his deal for 30 pieces of silver. Yeah, he, he, he sold out cheap. That was the Worst deal in the history of the world. But these soldiers got a lot more money 
to keep quiet, and if anybody asked them, just to say the soldiers stole the body when we dozed off. And that, and when Matthew wrote his gospel, he said this 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 lie is still going out there, and I can tell you it can still be heard today in 2020. But he's not here; he is risen. And they remembered, and they returned from the tomb and reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. And now, and they named some of them who were there, Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and also other women with them were telling these things to the apostles. But you notice, there weren't any men in this group. So they came back and told them that their words appeared to them as nonsense, and they would not believe them. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb, and stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings only, and he went away to his home, marveling at what had happened. Now, another gospel tells us that John also ran with him, and John, he's, he's the youngest, and he ran faster. But... Uh, John came away, says, believing. But Peter, ah, I just don't know what to make of this. I'm not sure what's going on here, <laughs> he says. He needed more convincing. Well, you know what, what happens after that in this chapter of Luke. There were two disciples. Only one of them is named. And, and uh, in verse 18, his, his name was uh, Cleopas. And they are walking back to their home uh, in Emmaus from Jerusalem. And they're talking and Jesus joins them. And it says in verse 16 that their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. He's got something to say to them, to teach to them. So for starters, he's not allowing them to recognize him. And uh, so he said, what are you guys talking about? You know, they're incredulous. Where have you been? Are you the only one in Jerusalem who doesn't know what's been going on here? What's happened here? And so they, they told him. The things about Jesus the Nazarene, who was a mighty, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word, in the sight of God and all the people. He was a prophet, they said. Was he? Well, he was that, but that was probably the, the, the last item on his resume in importance. <laughs> but that's what they said. And the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him, but we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. And indeed, besides all this, it's the third day since these things have happened. And, but also some women among us amazed us when they were at the tomb in the morning, did not find his body. They came saying they had also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just like the women had said, but him they did not see. And the Lord rebukes them, oh foolish men and slow of heart. So he began to explain to them the things about himself beginning with Moses and all the prophets. And uh, as they approached the village, he acted as though he would continue on, but they insisted he 
come in and stay with them. And so he did, and uh, when they sat down to eat, he took bread and blessed it. And breaking it, he began giving it to them, and their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And <laughs> he vanished from their sight. Now, they made one of the quickest trips back to Jerusalem from Emmaus that they had ever done in their life. They were excited, okay? So I hope you can get excited about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. So they went back to tell the others, it's true, it's true, what the women had said. And the Lord has really risen, verse 34. And he's appeared to Simon, they were told. And they began to relate their experiences on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of the bread. And while they were telling these things, he himself stood in their midst. Peace be unto you. Wow. What a time it was. So a number of people now have seen the Lord Jesus in his, re in his resurrection. And many more will. So over the period of, of uh, 40 days, he appeared to them from, from place to place. He had told them before his crucifixion, when he tried to tell them that this would happen to them, that they should meet up with him in Galilee after his resurrection. But they, they were reminded of that at the, at the garden tomb. They were reminded again as though the Lord almost had to bring out a, a couple of border collies to herd this flock of sheep up to Galilee, but they did finally get there. And you remember how the disciples were there in Galilee and didn't know what to do, and Peter said, ah, I'm going to go fishing. Ah, we'll go along with you. So off they went fishing. And the Lord met them on the shore, and he had prepared for them a meal. They brought in this huge catch of fish. So they spent some time in Galilee, but now we're going to go to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, also uh, written for us by Luke, and he begins this uh, book in this way, the first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven, after he had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. So we're, we're looking at the fact of the resurrection. There were many convincing proofs and many eyewitnesses. And gathering them together in verse 4, it says, He commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, You heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So, they wanted to know, is the millennium going to start now? He said, no. And I'm not going to tell you when it is going to start, but you will receive power from the Holy Spirit. In verse 9, after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. There's those two angels. I wonder if it's the same two. 
And they also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. Now, later on in the same chapter here, they have selected someone to replace Judas Iscariot. And one of the qualifications that whomever they would consider must have in verse 22 is that beginning with the baptism of John until the day he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So, and we know that Matthias was chosen. They had a couple of options there. But they had to be someone who had been with them from the beginning, but who had also seen the risen Lord. Lots of witnesses here. Moving into chapter 2, in verse uh, 29, you know, Peter has preached uh, this message here, and he, and he says here in the middle now, we're kind of in the middle of his message, Brethren, I may confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. And so because he was a prophet and knew that God had sworn to him with an oath to seat one of his descendants on his throne, he looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of Christ, that he was neither abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh suffer decay. This Jesus God raised up again, to which we are all witnesses. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God, having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you both see and hear. Then let's turn to a passage we, we've already looked at uh, earlier in the earlier hour in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. First Corinthians 15. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, and after that he appeared to more than five hundred brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, to one untimely born, Paul says, he appeared to me also. So that group of 500 that he refers to here is probably that scene in Acts chapter 1 when Jesus is about to ascend to heaven. They've gone out of the city and, and he's taken up before them. And so there are a lot of eyewitnesses to Jesus' resurrection. So the fact of his resurrection is well established, and there are many other proofs as well. The second thing we want to look at this morning and be reminded of is the faith of the resurrection. We're going to begin with that, and we've, we've been introduced to it here in, in, uh, in Acts 15, 
in those opening verses, the, the heart of the gospel is the resurrection of Christ. Okay? We're going to see that in other places as well. Let, but let's go to John chapter 11. You're going to remember in John 11, this is the, the account of Lazarus being raised from the dead. But there's an interesting exchange between Jesus and Martha in this story in John chapter 11, beginning at verse 25. So, so Jesus is trying to comfort Martha and telling her, you know, your brother's going to live again, but this is not really helping her. So Jesus, she says, yes, I know he's going to rise again on, on the resurrection of the last day. But Jesus said to her, and this is very important to get this, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, Yes, Lord, I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. Remember Jesus' words, I am the resurrection and the life. So resurrection life is found in Christ. We, we, we see his own resurrection, but also our resurrection is bound up with his. Let's keep going with this, and we're going to again pick up in the book of Acts. This time we'll, we'll, we'll look at chapter 4. There are so many passages you could, you could consider, and we're going to try to move along fairly quickly as we tell the story. Acts chapter 4. Uh, Peter and John have been preaching. Uh, there's, a, there's been a, a lame beggar who's been healed, and the people are amazed at this, and they're, they're flocking to him, and in, in the opening of chapter 4, as they were still speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to them, being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Now, if you go back in the verses, they, they talked about a lot of things. They talked about his, his death, his crucifixion. But the thing that these opponents seized on the most was they were proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. In verse 10, but further down, as they are responding to, to these leaders, why are you doing this? Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this man stands before you in good health. So the resurrection is at, at the heart and soul of the gospel. It is the faith that we all aspire to. In verse 33 of that same chapter, with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and abundant grace was upon them all. Think about that. So, the, so miracles were being performed. Uh, people were healed of various ailments, and demons were cast out. And he says of this, giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. So these things are possible because Jesus is alive. 
These things are happening because Jesus is alive. Uh, keep going ahead in Acts to chapter 10. Towards uh, the latter part of the chapter, the, at, the, uh, at the end of, of verse 39, and speaking of the Lord here, he's, he, and, and uh, Peter, who is, is speaking to, to these group of Gentiles there at the house of Cornelius, uh, he says here in verse 39, they put him to death by hanging him on a cross. But verse 40, God raised him up on the third day and granted that he become visible. And so the gospel hangs upon the resurrection of Christ. Why is that true? Because it's one thing to say that Jesus died for our sins, but how do we know that's going to be effective? Because he rose from the dead. That's the proof. That is God's stamp of approval. We're going to see that as we continue on in the faith of the resurrection. Acts chapter 13, verse 29, beginning at verse 29. And here, you know, Paul is, is speaking here, and he's speaking of the, of the Lord's death. And he says, when they had carried out all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who came up uh, with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, the very ones who are now his witnesses to the people. And so he went on to, to preach to them. And he says, and we preach to you the good news of the promise made to the fathers that God has fulfilled this promise to our children, that he raised up Jesus, as it is also written in the second psalm. You are my son, and today I have begotten you. As for the fact that he raised him up from the dead, no longer to, to return to decay, he has spoken of in this way, I will give to you the holy and sure blessing of David. Therefore, he also says in another psalm, you will not allow your Holy One to undergo decay. So the resurrection of, of the Lord Jesus is absolutely necessary for the gospel to work. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through him forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you and through him, everyone who believes is freed from all things from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. What, what do you and I need from God? I'll tell you what I need. I need freedom from the, from the burden of guilt for my sin. I need freedom from the grip or the control of sin on my life. And I need the assurance of God of eternal life in heaven. And that is what we receive from the Lord Jesus because God has raised him from the dead. Turn ahead to chapter 17. Paul has uh, had to hastily uh, leave after 
preaching to the Thessalonians there, and, and the church is, is being established, but uh, persecution has driven him out. He's left behind his associates, and he's gone on to Athens alone, and he's waiting for them to rejoin him in Acts 17, 16. Now, Paul was waiting for them at Athens. His spirit was being provoked within him as he was observing the city full of idols. So he was reasoning in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be present. And also some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers were conversing with him. Some were saying, what would this idle babbler wish to say? Others, well, he seems to be a proclaimer of strange deities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. So we see from the beginning of Acts onward as the gospel was preached, the resurrection was emphasized. So that even these Greek philosophers in seeing this saw it as the, the most central part. Preaching Jesus and the resurrection. In verse 32 then, uh, he's made this sermon on Mars Hill. He was invited to give a more lengthy dissertation, and you can read a summary of that in the, in the verses in between. But in verse 32, so when, when these people heard this, including these philosophers and many others who would, would come to gather there, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some began to sneer, but others said, uh, we shall hear you again concerning this. And, and the last verse says that there were just a handful of people who believed. But gospel preaching was a preaching of the resurrection. Acts chapter 26. Paul has, has been uh, imprisoned in Judea for almost two years. He's already appeared before one governor and now before another. Here he is with uh, Agrippa and, and Felix. And it's at the end of this chapter that he appeals to Caesar uh, to decide his case. But in verse 22, it says, and in, this is Paul giving his testimony uh, before King Agrippa. He says, so having obtained help from God, I stand to this day testifying both to small and great, stating nothing but what the prophets and Moses said was going to take place, that the Christ was to suffer and that by reason of his resurrection from the dead, he would be the first to proclaim light both to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. So apart from the resurrection, there would be no light, no eternal life. Romans, chapter 1, just had a couple more pages, we're out of Acts, we're into Romans, and uh, this great epistle begins this way, Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets and the holy scriptures, concerning his son, who was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh, and get this in verse 4, this is very important, who was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. See, Jesus claimed to be the Son of God when the question was put to him directly. 
during his trial before the Jewish religious leaders, are you the son of God? He said, I am. So God has declared that it's true that he is the son of God by raising him from the dead. And according to the spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his name's sake. So, apart from the resurrection, no apostles, no grace. Same, cha uh, same book, chapter 4, verse 25. He was delivered over because of our transgressions and was raised because of our justification or to accomplish our justification, it was necessary that Jesus rise from the dead. Okay? So justification means that God declares us just and righteous in his sight. There's no charges against us with God anymore. Justification. Because of through the resurrection this was accomplished. Chapter 8. I'm going to move along quickly here. <clears throat> Chapter 8 and verse 11. And he says here, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit that dwells in you. So, the resurrection of Christ brings life through his spirit to us. Verse 34 of the same chapter is getting towards the end of this great chapter. You remember he says, who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. That's what he said in verse 33. Who is he who condemns? Is there anybody who would condemn us? Well, the devil would like to condemn us. Uh, sometimes we feel a, a, a condemnation in our own conscience because of our sin. But who is going to condemn us? Christ Jesus is he who died, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who intercedes for us. So, no resurrection, no intercession, no defender. But because of the resurrection of Christ, we have the most able defender. Not even Satan himself can accuse us. Chapter 10 and this may be a verse you memorized. Verse 9, if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So it's necessary in order to be saved that you believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Do you understand that that is a fact of history? It's true. Ephesians. We passed a couple of books here. Ephesians. In chapter 1, and this is a, a great chapter with so many riches in it, but uh, just dropping down to verse 19, the, uh, the last part of that verse. Uh, okay, so he says, and, and the surpassing greatness of his power toward us will believe these are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ 
verse 20, when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of God in heavenly places. So, so think of all these great uh, things it says in this chapter that, are, that come to us because Christ has raised from the dead. And we drop down to, into chapter 2 in these very familiar verses in, in verse 4. God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So Jesus rose from the dead, and we shall also rise because of that. Our resurrection is included in his. It's guaranteed in his. It is effected in his. And Colossians chapter 2. Colossians 2, 12. Having been buried with him through baptism in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. So, the faith of the resurrection shows that the resurrection of Christ is central to the gospel and to the faith in which we have believed. Then we turn thirdly to the future of the gospel and uh, try to move some of, through some of this as quickly as we can. Um, Romans 6, and this is a passage we looked at recently with uh, regard to uh, the baptism. All of us who have been baptized into Christ in verse 3 have been baptized into his death. Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into his death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. So we become united with him in the likeness of his death. Certainly, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. So we have new life in Christ in, in his resurrection. Verse 9 says that knowing that Christ has been raised from the dead is never to die again. So death no longer is master over you. So one of the things that uh, we all need is that freedom from the fear of death, and specifically that with death comes judgment for sin. But because we have died with Christ and rose with him, death is no longer a master over us. In 1 Corinthians 15, again, uh, in the earlier hour, Al uh, noted a number of these verses in the, in the middle of the chapter here. Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, but let's look at, pick up the latter part of the chapter in verse 50 then. So, now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For this imperishable must put on the imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, 
And this mortal will have put on immortality. Then will come about the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. And look at the last verse of this chapter. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. This is so important because we we face uh, all manner of difficulties and trials and sometimes uh, persecution, and there's just the, the feeling, is it worth it all or shall I just give up? Why don't you give up? Your toil is not in vain in the Lord, because Jesus rose from the dead, and you shall rise too. Remember what he said in John 11? I am the resurrection and the life. Here it is. He is the resurrection and the life. Philippians chapter 3. Verses 10 and 11. And this is, is Paul telling you what the, what the passion of his life is. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. So again, our resurrection is achieved in the resurrection of Christ himself. Colossians 3, beginning of verse 1. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, so if that is true, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. He's a risen Savior. He's at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things that are here on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you will also be revealed with him in glory. So we wait for a risen Lord Jesus Christ to come for us. And that will be our glory as well. A couple more. 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter, like uh, Ephesians 1, is is a chapter that's just packed with wonderful truths. But he begins this way in verse 3. We'll just read one verse in. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So we have a living hope instead of no hope because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And then one last Scripture in First Thessalonians chapter one. And Paul commends the Thessalonian believers here for how they had received the gospel. And he says, For they themselves report about us what kind of a reception we had with you and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath to come. So we escape the wrath of God on a sinful world 
because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, this one who we have believed in. So there is the fact of the resurrection, there is the faith of the resurrection, and there is the future of the resurrection. Jesus Christ in 1 Corinthians is called the first fruits. He's the beginning. And all of us, in countless numbers more who have believed in him, will follow in him because he rose from the dead. Now you can celebrate that today. You can, you can be happy and you can rejoice. We have to celebrate because our Savior who died on the cross for our sins has risen from the dead. So, as you uh, perhaps bow for prayer at your mealtime, be sure to give thanks to God for a risen Savior. Our Father, we do thank you for the abundant proof and evidence that you have given to the resurrection of your Son, the Lord Jesus, from the dead. He is indeed the resurrection and the life, and we have eternal life in him because he rose from the dead. We have justification from him. We have a, an intercessor before your throne, a living shepherd, a living Savior, and we give thanks and praise for him. We have to rejoice today for that. In Jesus' name, amen.